That's what we're all saying this morning, God. We need you. Sometimes uh, we can fake it. Sometimes we can kind of just push through and suck it up and act like everything's fine. And we're not okay right now. We're not fine. Incalculable number of people have been impacted by this disease. A number too staggering to comprehend have lost their lives. Millions of people have lost things that are very precious to them, lost people who are very precious with them, to them. And the future isn't at all clear. We turn to our, our government officials, local, state, national. We need to pray for them. They've got a very difficult job, but our answers don't come from Sacramento or Los Angeles or Washington, D.C., our hope comes from you, God. So we ask you to come right now and fill this place with your presence, but God, fill every place within the sound of my voice, everyone who's watching right now. May you fill their room, their bedroom, kitchen, living room, dining room, whatever room they're in, God. If they're in their car, they're on their iPhone, fill that space with your presence, God, because we need you. And we thank you for your word and the hope that it gives because of what took place as we celebrated together just a week ago on Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. We believe that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and alive forevermore. Help us realize that reality. Help us to live into that reality today, we pray. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's wonderful to be with you again. It's uh, lonely not to see you, but it's good to be here. And I'm glad that you're here to take some time with us today to uh, listen to God's word and to remember what he encourages us uh, in his word. And I am excited today to talk to you about the Emmaus encounter. The Emmaus encounter. I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week and focused on the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that this story of the Emmaus encounter is one that has something to say to you and I at the very moment that we're in in human history, in West Covina history, California history, American history, world history. Because there are two individuals, two followers of Jesus. On the very day that the women went to the tomb in order to anoint the body of Jesus in preparation uh, for uh, his uh, entombment, they went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. And we know that story, the beginning of Luke chapter 24. I want to pick up the story on Luke 24, 13 and following. And let's just read together uh, the text of Scripture and then ask God to speak to us through his word. Now on that same day, okay, the same day that the women went to the tomb and were very disturbed to find it 
empty. Two of them, two of the followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. I did some work and some research today, as I have in the past, about the identity of this Emmaus, because historically there's been questions about it, and found uh, quite a bit of uh, research and quite a bit of uh, uh, photographs of what present-day Emmaus might look like, but I don't know that that helps us very much, uh, and so I'm not going to share any of that with you, but there is a town that people believe, uh, as there have been a couple of historical possibilities, that is about seven miles from Jerusalem that uh, seems to fit the ticket, and there was a well-known Roman road that was constructed on which people could travel. So the uh, geographical detail isn't of greatest significance. What's of greatest significance to these two uh, journeyers is what's going on in their hearts. The sense of emptiness, the sense of loss. And they're walking and they're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, if you've got notes home, I think they're available uh, for you uh, where you are online. Uh, you can follow along, but you can just follow along in Luke 24 if you'd like. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They felt isolated, as Pastor Brandon encouraged us to uh, think of those who are feeling that isolation right now. They felt alone. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know if God kept them from recognizing him or, or Jesus did. I don't know if possibly their grief, their loss, their sense of isolation and loneliness kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they just stopped. They stood still. Their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are, are, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? You're not from these parts, are you? And you do not know the things that have happened there in these days. It's as if someone walked into downtown New York City on September 12th, 2001, and said, what are you, what are you all talking about? What's going on? What's kind of the buzz? And they say, are, are, are you not aware of what's going on? What happened in these days? Verse 19, Jesus asked, what things? Have you ever wondered if Jesus has a sense of humor? I believe this question illustrates the playful side of Jesus' mind and heart and spirit. What things? He'd been at the center of those things. He was at the heart of those things. He died during those things. He was buried and left for dead during those things, and God had raised him with power and glory from the, bed, from the dead, but these men don't know that said, what things? And they probably kind of looked at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. They said about Jesus of Nazareth. And they tell us about him. He was a prophet. 
He spoke with God. He listened to God. God gave him words to share with us, to share with humanity. Words that gave us hope. Words that gave us perspective. Words that gave us a future. And he was powerful in word and deed. What he said was significant. People were amazed at his teaching because he spoke as someone who was speaking from the very center of reality. That's the words, that's the response to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Powerful in word. He was powerful indeed. What he did, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He, he befriended the leper. He included the marginalized. He welcomed the participation of women in his ministry. Luke 8 tells us that they, the women helped bankroll the ministry of Jesus during this time, during his ministry. He recognized the value of children who weren't of great value in this culture. He befriended the lonely. Powerful prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. In the presence of God, he did these things and of all the people. And then the shock, the chief priests and our rulers, our spiritual leaders, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. They crucified him. And then more of that emotion comes out. They, they, they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hope, not we are hoping, we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was going to set things right. We don't hope any longer. We know better. We're realists. We saw what took place. These followers may have been, uh, those who were uh, very close to Jesus had, may have been there, may have witnessed his crucifixion or seen it from a distance may have heard the news of his shock of shocks, his death, his burial. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. I don't think that they understood what they were saying. I think sometimes I don't understand what I am saying. That great actor, theologian, once said, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Well, sometimes I don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And they, they said, it's been three days now, and it's not getting any better. The grief isn't going away. The loss isn't diminishing. This is our new reality. He's gone. Three days have transpired. And then, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body. So we have the shock and horror of that as well. We don't even have his body to grieve over, to ask God for his comfort. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, women. That's not my saying that. That's kind of the attitude in that era. One of the things that 
confirms the reality and the veracity of God's word is the fact that in the central event of human history and of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus, the first witnesses to the resurrection are women. They were the last there with him at the cross. They were the first there at the tomb. But the wit witness of a woman in that era was not equal to the witness of a man. Uh, they, they'd seen a vision of angels. That happens every day. And the angels said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said. I don't think they saw the angels, but they saw that the tomb did not contain his body. They found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. We're as low as low could be. And he said to them, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not God's anointed one, the Messiah, the Messiah is the, basically a transliteration of the, uh, the Hebrew word. When the Old Testament was translated into the Septuagint, into Greek, in that uh, time, uh, shortly after the time of Jesus, uh, they rendered that word the Messiah with the Christ, the anointed one, the one on whom God had poured out his spirit. We know the story of David and how Samuel came with the oil and was looking for the next king, and, and his father brought out the seven brothers who were big, strapping, handsome guys, uh, assuming it's got to be one of those, and uh, no, it wasn't one of those. And they said, don't you have another brother? And they said, well, there's David. But it can't be David that you're looking for. We have him down in the stinking sheep pen. They brought David, and Samuel took that oil and poured it over David from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And the Bible says, First Samuel 16, it, it says that from that moment on, the Spirit of the Lord came out upon David with power. The anointed one, the descendant of David, who would reign on his throne. But did not the Messiah have to suffer? That wasn't in their understanding of Messiah. Messiah meant authority, meant power, meant strength, meant, meant uh, dominance. Messiah was the one for the people in first century Judaism in the land where they were. The Messiah was the one who would come and would have more power than the occupying army of Rome. He would make things right. When he came, the political future would be made right, would go back to normal. The way in America often we get kind of very worked up over elections, which now have a basically almost a four-year cycle instead of a one-year cycle. Thinking that if we only get success in the nomination of whoever it is that we want to ascend to the throne, everything will work out great. History doesn't tell us that, but that's what they believed. He said, if you've read the Old Testament, did, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. Another sense, I think, of the wry, dry 
sense of humor of Jesus. Yeah, I've got, I've got people to see, places to go, bills to pay. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. Stay with us. Something about this man, something about this fellow traveler, something about him wanting to hear their story. The Bible says that he carries our griefs. Something about his companionship on this way, they're in a sense on, on, the, on, the, on the, the way of life, they're in the valley of the shadow of death. They've just left the place of death. Jerusalem, the city of the king, and the tomb of Jesus, and now the body's even gone. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with him. I think the word with is very important in God's word. And when he was at the table, third time in three verses, it says, with him, he took bread he gave thanks. He broke it. If they'd been in that upper room with the 12, but even if they weren't, they'd heard that story. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And in the upper room at that last supper, he had said, this is my body broken for you. They may have been part of the crowd that was at the feeding of the 5,000, which was probably more like 15 to 20,000 people, including women and children who weren't counted. And there was no food, and he took some small loaves and a couple of fish that a little boy had brought for his lunch and made that food adequate for the entire crowd. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to the people. He is God our provider. And then... And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They looked at each other and said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And you know, in uh, the history of uh, Western art, there's a lot of examples of artists who have... Uh, portrayed kind of this moment of recognition uh, on your notes is uh, a picture by the great um, uh, painter Caravaggio Rembrandt was famous for his paintings of the moment in Emmaus when they saw and they recognized there's usually kind of a glow coming from Jesus or a halo sometimes as he's represented in, in uh, early art it's like Jesus is here we're not our hearts burning within us we knew there was something about this man. While he talked with us on the road, just his presence changes things. And, and he, as he opened the scriptures to us, they had reached their destination, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were in Emmaus. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I don't know how long it takes you to walk seven miles. If you're in our area, it's the distance essentially from uh, Bethany, where we are right now, where we're... Um, uh, live streaming uh, and uh, Pudding Stone Lake about seven miles away that'd take us a while to walk they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem they all of a sudden 
their loss had turned into gain. Their, their emotions had reversed. They're no longer demoralized and depressed. And alone, they're energized and activated. And they were in the presence of the living Savior. Went back to Jerusalem, and then they found the eleven and those with them, and they were assembled together. And they were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So by this point, Simon, who earlier in this chapter had gone after the women and found things the way they said but didn't see Jesus, now God has appeared to Simon beside the lake. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them by he, when he broke the bread. That was the moment when their eyes were opened and they encountered reality. Well, what's happened to them is what's happened to us in our day. The reality is that for you and I, sometimes our hearts get broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We live in a broken world with broken people as broken people. As we look back at the story, it, it kind of builds very, very slowly in fact, there's something ironic about this whole story because if you follow uh, the text of Luke, Luke only allots 13 verses to the actual crucifixion itself. It's a very spare, a fairly lean account. Few, few details. It's terse. It's sparse. And yet what could be more important than the crucifixion of Jesus? 13 verses only, but here a lot allotted by Luke is 22 verses, verses 13 to 35. To this account of the resurrected Jesus's seven-mile hike with two discouraged and demoralized and unnamed, well, Cleopas is, un, is named, but it's the only time he's even mentioned in the New Testament, fairly insignificant followers. What happened in this story? Well, we go back, uh, sometimes our hearts get broken, number one. So we read that they stood still, their faces downcast. That was when he asked them, hey, hey, uh, how's life going? How are you doing? And when we encounter our neighbors, we keep a safe uh, social distance from them, uh, usually wearing a mask now when we go out. Uh, but we, always, we ask, how are you doing? How are things going? Are, are you guys healthy? Are, are, you, are you okay with food still? And that's good to have that connection. He asked them, and they couldn't even answer. They just stood still, their faces downcast. I, I've told a story before. Some of you have heard when I was in college and going through a time of pretty serious depression, actually maybe close to suicidal depression in terms of thinking about just life didn't feel like uh, it was going well, and I didn't know if I had a future. And I was walking from the dorm to my class one day, and someone was walking uh, some distance behind me going around the baseball field at Biola and they call out and said hey Doug what's wrong and I turned back and I said what are you talking about I said what, what's wrong something about the way that I was walking it was obvious I'm sure my face was downcast my body was probably downcast there is a thing that's happening these days where our, our face is turned down but it's there's actually a medical name for it it's called uh, the neck down syndrome. It's because we walk around all day doing this. And so there's kind of uh, 
interventions that are needed for people who are kind of permanently in this, uh, in this position. They're in grief, and they can't even make eye contact, it seems like. In verse 18, they said, yeah, well, what happened? Well, something happened concerning Jesus. Jesus was incredible, powerful before God, a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and, and, and human beings. But what our leaders did was incomprehensible. It was horrible. They crucified him. They executed him like a common criminal. It's horrible. And we had hoped, but don't any longer. We've, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've given up praying now because we know it's not happening. We, we had hoped that he was the one that was going to make things right. Sometimes our hearts get broken. Some of your hearts have been broken. Most of our hearts have been broken one way or the other. And number two, would you write down, sometimes... Sometimes things get worse. Sometimes things get worse. And crisis comes on top of crisis, like the series of waves smashing down at you during a storm. Sometimes things get worse. How could they get worse? It's been three days. We thought it was a bad dream, but then we woke up, and then another night and day came. And three, three days. He's still dead. He's still gone. Time does not heal all wounds. God can heal our wounds. The Lord is close to the broken in heart, the Bible says, and, and he binds up every wound. But time in and of itself does not heal all wounds. Three days. So in addition, some of our men amazed, uh, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. We don't even have his body to... To, to reverence and to respect. I've been with people as they've gone from this life into another life. I've, I've, I've been so grateful to see the honor and respect that hospice workers or people who come from, from uh, a cemetery or, or a mortuary, the respect with which they treat the body. Uh, I've heard them, just in my recent past, I've heard them say to a grieving family, we will take care of your beloved family members body as if it was one of our own I didn't have his body sometimes things even get worse and number three sometimes sometimes we can't see the one person that we need I personally miss all of your beautiful faces nothing wrong with you Chad Billy Edward Alex Casey Ryan Kelsey Christian. Nothing wrong with you, but I miss your beautiful faces. It's not the same. You can see me. I can't see you. This is very unfair. We need to have one of those Zoom meetings where there's like hundreds of people on that screen. If we could see them all, and I'm glad that in our smaller times of connection as a community, we're able to, to see each other. But sometimes we can't see the one person that they need. They came and said, the women came and told us, they said that they'd seen a vision of angels and they said he was alive, whatever that could possibly mean. We saw him die. We saw him buried in the tomb. Story was over. Then some of our companions, they went to the tomb. They found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Verse 23 and 24. Him they did not see. 
And sometimes we wonder, where is God? Where is God? Philip Yancey many, many years ago wrote a book about pain called Where is God When It Hurts? And verse 15 tells us that even earlier, they're talking, they're discussing these things at the beginning of the journey, and Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Here's the irony, the one person that they need the most, the one person that they missed the most deeply, the one person they most needed to see was right there in the middle of the mess. David Crowder wrote a great song once. It's called, In the Middle of the Mess, There is Majesty. In the middle of my chest, he said, is the king of kings. He's there. But sometimes we can't see the one person that we need. Well, what do we need? Four things that come to us from this text. What do we need? Number one, I believe we need to understand and believe God's word. We need to understand and believe God's word. That's what Jesus tells us. That's where I got this brilliant idea, right? Back from verse 25, he said to them, hearing their grief, hearing their story, hearing their loss, hearing their hopelessness, hearing their despair, hearing their grief, he said to them, how foolish you are. It's not a very kind response to someone who's grieving. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. If you notice in these three verses, 25, 26, 27, he talks about all that the prophets have spoken. Begin with Moses and all the prophets. He explained that what was said in all of Scripture. You don't believe what God's Word has told you. The Hebrew Scriptures, they're the Bible of the time of Jesus and of Paul. The Hebrew, you don't believe what you profess to believe. You're what some people have called... Um, a functional deist or a, a practical atheist, Christian in name, but you don't believe what God tells us. So what do we need to do? In, in your notes, I meant to put blanks here, and I didn't. I filled them in. Apologies for that, but it, kind of small blanks, right? What do we need to do? Well, obviously, for us to be able to understand it and believe God's word, we've got to back up a little bit before we get to that point. We've got to listen to God's word. You're doing that this morning. I, I commend you for wisdom in coming to take time together in God's presence, because you are right where you are and we are right here, with God's people, opening God's word, listening to God's heart, asking God to equip us and mobilize us to serve him and to serve our community and our world. We need to listen to God's word. We need to read God's word. I hope you're doing that. That's the reason I'm doing a daily encouragement on our website. It forces me into the word every day, uh, but also I want to kind of just if, if, if you could put it this way, kind of take you by the hand during this kind of crazy time and just expose you to a, a small part of God's word, reflect on it, and then pray. You can do this on your own, but uh, it's just a tool for you to use. I hope every day you're spending time in God's word. It would make sense that if we're stuck at home and isolated and frustrated, that we should invest now in our own growth. David was going through a, a difficult time in his life, and the scriptures tell us that David refreshed himself in the Lord. How do we do that? We do that by, by spending time in God's presence. We do that by opening God's word and beginning to read it, and it begins to do something to our soul.
listen to God's word, read God's word, memorize God's word, have God's word be part of your heart and life. And then number four, reflect on God's word. That means to, to meditate, to, to kind of chew on it, to say, what does this mean? What would this moment be like if I was there with that grief on that walk, feeling that loneliness and some guy out of nowhere comes up and says, hey, what's going on? And he has no clue. And I got to tell him my story that I don't want to recount because I don't want to even look at the reality I'm dealing with. And what would it feel like at that moment when he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to us? Reflect on God's word. We need to study God's word. Sometimes there's effort that's involved in that. that that's okay. We, we study things that matter to us, that are important to us. And then my dad used to say, study God's word and let God's word study you. <laughs> say, God, how do, I, how do I measure up with what you're commanding me? We're, we're studying in the encouragement. We've been studying through the, the things that are good and noble and right and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise and uh, slowing down to look at each one of those I have to ask do I do this and I find I'm often missing the mark and need to align myself ask God to help me to align my life my character my thoughts my behavior with his word study God's word let it study you believe God's word that's what he said you are slow to believe this is a problem you're in the mess that you're in because you're slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken believe it and then do it James' stepbrother of Jesus said, do not merely listen to the word, although that's good, but don't merely listen to the word. You'll deceive yourselves. Do what it says. NET translation says, be sure you live out the message. J.B. Phillips put it like this, put it into practice. We need to understand and believe God's word. Number two, we need Jesus to open the scriptures to us. Can I have an Amen. I'll take by faith that somebody out there is amening there in your home. We need Jesus to open the scriptures to us. Verse 26, he, he says, having, having talked about God's word and you don't believe it, he said, did not the Messiah? So he's revealing things to them, just how he's going about this. We're talking about God's anointed one. That's who was put on trial. And that's who was sentenced to die and who was crucified and buried and whose body is missing. Was not the anointed one David's descendant. Did, did he not, number one, have to suffer these things, and number two, then enter his glory? There's a sequence. Suffering comes before glory. God wants to make our lives glorious, but in every life that God wants to make glorious, there will be suffering that will come first. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, that's glorious. You must take up your cross and follow me. Maybe if you're suffering right now, as so many of us are, maybe God is preparing you for something glorious that you can't possibly imagine right now in your grief. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses, he went back to the beginning. The five books of Moses, the Torah. And he studied and shared with them. Right? And all the prophets... He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, now you know, we know that the, the name 
of Jesus is not there in the First Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, the name Joshua, uh, from which the name Jesus comes, uh, Joshua is there. But Jesus is all over. All the Scriptures, all the prophets, all of Moses, it points to Jesus. He opens the Scriptures, and they said, weren't our hearts burning within us? It's like our hearts and minds were on fire while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. We need to understand and believe God's word. We need Jesus to open the scriptures to us. Number three, we need Jesus to spend time with us. We need Jesus to spend time with us. Jesus pretended he's going to kind of keep walking after they reached their destination. They urged him strongly, stay with us. Stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. The fact that Jesus joined them and was with them on the road changed their journey. The fact that he opened the scriptures to them changed their journey. The fact that he didn't go on, but he stopped, he stayed, and he took time with them and to share a meal, that changed everything. And then when he was at the table, verse 30, with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. But here's something that you and I know, that we know that they didn't. Here's something we know that they didn't. He was already with them. Even when they thought that he wasn't. Well, wait. Maybe we don't know that. Maybe we're a lot like them. Maybe we're in the middle of a mess and we don't sense his, pro, uh, his presence. We don't see his physical body. We're wondering where he is. We're wondering why he has left us alone and yet he's right there with them. Verse 15 and 16, the story started with this. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Why is that? Because the Lord is close to the broken in heart. And these two individuals were brokenhearted. And that's where you find Jesus showing up. My friend Dallas Willard used to say, God's address is at the end of your rope. God may be with you right now, but there may be no visible or audible manifestation of his presence. But if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, you don't have to fear evil, as Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David said. You don't have to fear evil, God, because you are with me. And that changes everything. We go through a deep, deep loss and we grieve, but the fact that there is someone who is with us doesn't remove all the grief, but it changes it because now there's two people sharing the load or three people or four people. And so we reach out to each other and we want to comfort each other and we pray for each other as many of us have been doing for many in the Bethany family as we look at our prayer requests that are taking place. We're praying that God's presence would be manifest to people, but we're walking with them because we want to be with, we can't take your grief, but we can, we can share your grief. And finally, number four, we need Jesus to open our eyes. 
We need Jesus to open our eyes. Sometimes we may need to turn off the constant barrage of news and facts and information and perspective and ideas and suggestions that uh, people are only too willing to give, and I don't judge them for it. We, we rely on that information that's important to us. Uh, what's real matters. The truth matters. But we need Jesus to open our eyes to reality. Verse 27 says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And verse 35 says that Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We need Jesus to open up our eyes. David prayed this back in the longest uh, chapter of Scripture, the longest psalm, Psalm 119, 18. He said, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes as I open the Scriptures. And open the Scriptures to me as I open the Scriptures. And open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things, God, in your teaching, in your instruction, in your training, from your heart. When Jesus, Jesus was on the planet, one of the wonderful things that he did is a man who was born blind was given sight. And the religious leaders wanted to know, who did this? How did he do it? He did it the wrong way. He did it the wrong time. The man said, well, that's remarkable. You don't know where the guy comes from, yet he opened my eyes. I pray that God would open your eyes right now, right where you are, that he would open your eyes. I pray that as you open the scriptures, you would pray that Jesus would open the scriptures to you and speak to you through his word. I pray that Jesus would spend time with you and you say, well, he's not here. I pray that God would open your eyes. He's close to the broken in heart. He walks with us when we're on that walk through the valley of the shadow of deepest darkness. He's with us. It's his identity. It's his name. He is Yahweh Shema, the God who is present. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. We need Jesus to open our eyes. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a kind of a word picture given of, of God knocking on the door of a church. As if we're right here where we are, and you can imagine you're in a church right now in the presence of God, somebody knocking on the door. We get a little anxious when someone knocks on our door these days. And we're not used to seeing people. We've got, got to grab our mask first, right? Got to put our gloves on sometimes. Jesus is knocking on the door of a, of a church. And he's knocking on the door of, of our existence, our, our lives. He's saying, hey, would you open the door to me? Would you, can I take this journey with you? Can I walk with you right now? It says, uh, look, listen. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. You may not hear me. You may not see me. That's why sometimes, like Moses, I have to show up in like a, burst, a, a bush that's on fire, and yet it's not consumed for, to get your attention. God sometimes has to use that two-by-four on me to get my attention, get me to listen. He knocks and says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in so I can be with them. 
right now, I don't believe God is behind this coronavirus, this pernicious disease. But I believe God wants to transform this moment in our experience and use what is evil and transform that into good by knocking to get our attention and saying, you don't have to be socially quarantined alone. I want to be with you. I want to open your eyes. I want to open God's word to you so you have hope, so you see the future I have planned for you, and so that whatever happens, we go through it together. Let's pray. Worship him, come on up. Living God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you that you love us. This morning you're asking, can I become part of your life? Can I join you on your journey? Can I join you in your isolation, in your social distancing, so you aren't alone? And all you ask is, we hear your voice, we open the door. So God, right now, I, with my beloved Bethany family and friends here, we want to tell you, God, just right where we are, in, in the church building or our own home or a car or wherever, we want to tell you, God, in our own voice, my door is open to you, God. Jesus, come and walk with me. Holy Spirit, come and be my companion, my encourager, my strength. Abba, Father, come, father me. I open the door to you and say, please, show me what it's like to walk with you as you walk with me. And all God's children said, amen. Hallelujah.